We'll read the passage momentarily, but first the context. It's been about a month since we've been in Ephesians. We were last in chapter 2. And chapter 2 began in such a way that we looked at death through life in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. How mankind, and particularly to the Gentile, is raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Mankind was under the sway of the flesh, the world, the enemy. The destiny was not good. It was a hell-bent destiny. Unquestionably. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love for us, even when we were dead in sin, by grace we have been saved. Looked at the individual aspect of chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. But as the chapter goes on, it starts to look at the corporate aspect of what would be the church. In verses 11 to 22, we see, first and foremost, what it is now become this concept of being one in Christ. We're now the Jew and the Gentile, and as we read this morning, the nations are now one in Christ. The nations, all people groups, all languages, all tongues are being built together into a holy temple, a dwelling place of God. Pretty, pretty remarkable for something that was once a mystery. But now as we get to chapter 3, we're basically going to look at the first 13 verses. Today, verses 1 to 6 is the first 13 verses look at a prelude. They cover a prelude to Paul's prayer. As we see... Paul's going to pray in verse 14. And it's going to be a prayer. Basically, that all that's been revealed to you, that the Spirit of God will will make it so, so real in your hearts. So, so real in your minds. That everything you've written, I've written so far, would resound within you. But today we take it from chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Let's read the text, hear the Word of God. The title of the message is, A Mystery Revealed. The Mystery Revealed. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If you're taking notes, you can break this down into three headings. As the title is, The Mystery Revealed, the first heading will be verses 1 and 2, the messenger of the mystery, verses 3 to 5, the revelation of the mystery, and verse 6, the explanation of the mystery. Now, how many of you are going through the Bible in a year? Several of you. If you read through the Bible, you can come to the realization that God has authored a story. 
And if God was to title this story something other than the Bible, he could title it For My Glory. Certainly. When was this story authored? In eternity past before the foundation of the world. And one of the primary themes throughout the story is redemption. The redemption of a people. And like many stories, this story in the Bible has some strange twists and turns. Some least likely scenarios with some least likely people that God uses to fulfill his plans. But one thing about this story, the script is final. The script is not subject to change. And as we see this plot unfolding, slowly over time, God's ultimate plot is coming through fruition. Now, one aspect of this story, like many other stories would have, there is a mystery. A mystery. Now, as Paul has disclosed thus far about this new found status of the Gentile being an equal status in the kingdom of Christ with Jews and Gentiles in Christ, this was something that was hard to fathom. Because this was something that was hidden. Hidden in the old, revealed now in the new. It is, in fact, what Paul calls here a mystery. Now, in general, a mystery can be something unknown. But this Greek word here is mysterion. And this does not refer to something unknown, but rather it refers to what only God has revealed. Something that's beyond the natural knowledge, but in our text, the mystery is God's revelation of something that was previously hidden. But now has come to light, at God's appointed time, to God's appointed vessels, the New Testament apostles and prophets, and here the apostle Paul. This mystery was always a part of God's redemptive plan, part of this story. But now it's fully revealed. And this is what is known in the Bible as a form of progressive revelation. God does not disclose everything at once, but slowly over time, we see the story unfolding progressively. As we make our way into chapter 3, we see an explanation of this story unfolding as it is the Apostle Paul who is given revelation to a mystery. And the mystery is now a message. And it is a message that he opposed, given to a people that at one time he opposed. And certainly, if you go back in time, this is a least likely messenger of the mystery given to a least likely people and a least likely message. This leads us to our first point, verses 1 and 2. The messenger of the mystery. Verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, before we go on, let's stop. For this reason. It's as if Paul wants to reaffirm what has already been written in the first two chapters, and particularly chapter 3. The truths about this unity of Jew and Gentile. But he's going to look at, when we look at verse 14, for this reason, it's kind of like he picks up where he left off. Many scholars believe that he kind of lost his train of thought. Because Paul, it seems, is desirous to have a greater understanding. 
have his readers who are reading this letter and to us a greater of this understanding of these amazing truths. A one people of Christ who now make up God's people who are the church. He starts out to say something but loses his train and he will return to the original thought in verse 14. But let's move on. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul would often refer to himself as a doulos. We see that in his letters. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This messenger of mystery finds himself under house arrest. He is, in fact, a Roman prisoner. What has he done, Paul? Is he a criminal? What has he done to be a prisoner? He was not a prisoner for any crime committed, for breaking any Roman laws. And throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see that there were several incidents that happened to Paul that would bring turmoil upon him and eventually would lead to imprisonment, all related to his ministry to the Gentiles. And one of the incidents that triggered Paul's arrest was a false charge, a suspicion that he had taken Trophimus, who was an, a, a, an Ephesian Gentile, into an area of the temple that was off-limits to Gentiles. If you remember, we looked at in chapter 2, verse 15, that the temple wall was restricted to any non-Jewish person. But this was a rumor. And this event would be prominent in leading to his arrest. It was his ministry to the Gentiles that brought much hatred upon him from the Jews who did not have the Spirit of God within them. And they led, it led them to accuse him before the Roman magistrates. And all of this would ensue as a riot happened in Acts 21, 30 to 33. And all of these events would lead to his arrest. Now, to be under any sort of arrest in the ancient world and maybe even in our world now can bring shame upon someone. Typically. But the Apostle Paul was not ashamed. Paul understood that while he's under Roman custody, he was ultimately a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. This did not bring shame to him, but it brought honor. Because he understood that he would be advancing his master's cause. He understood it. He accepted this situation. That it was the will of God. It was God's will and it was his calling, a least likely calling, to these people, the Gentiles. And he will affirm three times in verses 1 to 13 that it's for your sake, Gentiles. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sake of the Gentiles in verse 1. In verse 2, God's grace has been given to me for you. And in verse 13, do not lose heart because my imprisonment is because of your glory. It's for your benefit. That this is the situation that we're in. Now, Paul saw the imprisonment from God's perspective. And it's important for us, as best as possible, to see unpleasant, seemingly unpleasant situations from God's perspective as best as we can. But Paul will assure all those reading the letters that what seems unfortunate is not. There's a purpose in this it never appeared in the letters that Paul was complaining. 
It never appeared that he was walking in the calling begrudgingly. That he was ever questioning God. We don't see that. And this mission to the Gentiles and the ministry in general would bring him much hardship. It appeared that he fully accepted the circumstances that came to him. And consider what he would write to the Philippians regarding his house arrest. For example, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. He would write regarding his house arrest. Now, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances, the house arrest, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He goes on. It's a God-centered thing. It's also other-centered. In verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known through the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. We see aspects of Paul's suffering throughout the book of Acts. Shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments. And I believe Paul's acceptance of this calling displays a trust in God. Because he, he would see how God would use this situation. And we must be reminded of this as well. We see that Paul has a contentment in Christ, in his calling. And he has a submission to his master. It's a principle for us as well. He understood whatever situation he found himself in, he can do all things through Christ who strengthened him. Philippians 4.13 And as the messenger to this mystery, of this mystery, to this mission, he would need Christ's strength. He would need the grace of God to strengthen him. The power would enable him to fulfill the calling. And that is something we'll look at next time as well. Very important grace, not just in salvation, but grace in Christian living and grace in Christian ministry as well. Now we go to verse 2. Indeed, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Again, he's other-centered here. By God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul was given this message to the Gentiles by the stewardship of God's grace. Grace was upon Paul to perform the task. This least likely task to a least likely messenger, to a least likely people. He would get God's revelation as well. Which leads us to our second point. The revelation of the mystery. Verses 3 to 5. Verse 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. Now, Paul received something extraordinary. He received a revelation on the Damascus Road. I will ask that you turn to Acts chapter 26. It's on page 1121 in your pew Bibles. If you want to follow along with me. Because I want you to see the revelation given to Paul about this mystery. Apostle Paul had an encounter. He didn't learn about special revelation in a systematic theology class. He had an encounter with the risen Lord. Not just learning, but receiving. As we are now going to take a flashback 
is part of this story that God has authored. We go to Acts 26, verses 14 to 18. And when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you, to appoint you as a servant and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen me, but also to the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes, so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who you have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul was given special revelation to this mystery. And it's if Paul is writing in the first 13 verses, you can believe what I wrote is genuine. He's reaffirming what we see in chapter 2. My insight was direct revelation from God. I was saved by grace. I was blinded by the light. And I got my instructions for ministry on a Damascus road. What he's writing is genuine. And what was once concealed in the old, we're now going to see is revealed in the new. And he has this phrase, I wrote before you in brief. In verse 3. Now what does he mean by that? You go back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. The mystery is that this story is going to end when all things are summed up in heaven and earth with Jesus Christ. And in verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The revelation, the ministry is given to him but it's for others. Understand my insight. This is not a private insight that Paul got. This same insight is given to the New Testament apostles and prophets. And it's very important that we understand. And consequently, that Paul is not receiving anything independently of God. As 2 Peter 1.20-21. It is written... That no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the spirit of God spoke from God. So certainly this revelation given to Paul is from God. It's a special act on God's part. And what he communicated in chapter 2. We can be sure is credible. He's reaffirming. And consider what he would tell the Galatians. In Galatians 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Might I add, Paul's insight, the revelation given to him, has now been given to us as well. Through the New Testament. Now let's look at verse 5. Which in other generations was not made known 
to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Now, not revealed to the sons of men. This is humanity. Humanity in general. This would also fall under God's progressive revelation as the story was hidden past slowly being revealed. The plan of God before the foundation of the world in eternity past is now coming to fruition. In the New Testament, fully revealed in Scripture to the apostles and prophets, where we get our New Testament foundation. It is the foundation of God's church, Christ being the chief cornerstone. Paul's saying you can understand my mystery into Christ. Consider what he writes to the Colossians, Colossians 1.26. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. So now the mystery is known. Who's a saint? Any person with the Spirit of God called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That's who a saint is. A Christian is a saint. So the progressive revelation we see here means that in the New Covenant era, we know more about God's plan than many who lived under the Old Covenant. Might I add, many prophets who even wrote. But I want to address this for a minute. Hidden from other generations. Don't we see Christ in the Old Testament? Don't we see the Gentile in the Old Testament? The answer is yes. I have, I have over 12 scriptures. I'm not going to read them to you. Where we see the Gentile in the Old Testament. Looking back, we can decipher the Lord's purpose to redeem. We see Zechariah, just one. 14, 16, Isaiah 19, verses 16 to 25. But what I want to read to you is Isaiah 49, 6. That is fulfilled in Acts by Paul. Acts Chapter 13, verse 47. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvations to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. For this reason, in Acts, as we go back in our story, we take a little flashback, a segue back. Paul would declare this to King Agrippa. In Acts 26, verses 22 to 23, you could write these down if you like. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying that nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. And in the language of Isaiah 59, those who were near and those who were far. Do we not see the gospel and the Messiah in the Old Testament. Yes. Where? You could see it in the first book, Genesis 3.15. We see after the fall, God, part of God's story unfolds. God didn't write that story right after that. That was written in eternity past. He didn't add that in. Can, nothing can be added. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman... And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Speaking of the Messiah, the Christ, what would happen to Satan. The promised Christ would come into the world to destroy the works of Satan. 1 John 
and he would save his people from their sins. Isaiah 53, need I say no more about the gospel? That's a picture and the Christ of the gospel. There were many types and shadows, many things hidden in this mystery prior to Christ's physical incarnation. God revealed in the Old Testament many types and shadows. We find out in Hebrews 1.1 that God spoke after long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken us to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. We see types of Christ in the Old Testament. You don't have to go numbers. The bronze serpent, Numbers 21.4. The bronze serpent raised in the wilderness that brought healing and life to all who looked upon it was a picture of the Son of God. On the cross, bringing healing and life to all who would look upon him by faith. We even see Jesus' very own words in John 3.14. Jesus would say, as, the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Mystery in the old, now coming to fruition in the new. The progressive unveiling of this comes through Christ Jesus, consider the latter part of verse 5, through the gospel. Now, this mystery was not fully hidden, but it was like a light, dimly lit. Now, while writing these God-inspired prophecies, prophets did not fully understand the eventual salvation of all nations. A light dimly lit, it's kind of like a curtain that was partially open, and it was nighttime. You can maybe see some types and shadows, but only when the sun came out in the morning does the curtain slowly get open. You see more Clearly, let's consider an early church father. John Christosimum writes, The prophets therefore spoke, but did not have complete knowledge at the time. The gospel, the Messiah, the plan of the Gentiles was not fully veiled. For the old covenant saints, they were set right the same way through faith alone. Genesis 15.6, it's affirmed in chapter 4 by Paul. But the knowledge that they had was fate in comparison to now this mystery revealed. They only saw in part while we see fully post-resurrection, post-Pentecost. Tremendous implications now for the church. Tremendous implications for the world. That has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Revealed. In the spirit, what has now been revealed will be further explained, which leads us to our third point, verse 6, the explanation of the mystery. First of all, what is the mystery? To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now this mystery here, the explanation has three elements to it. Let's unpack this a little bit. This is everything we've seen in chapter 2. 
the fellow heirs, fellow members of the body of Christ, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Speaking of the Gentile. The Gentiles now have the same inheritance. They are no longer strangers to the promises and covenants of God. They have the full inheritance through Christ, fellow heirs of an inheritance. Members of the body, full inclusion into the membership of the body of Christ, God's unified temple. They are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. A partaker is one who shares in common blessings, a co-participant. Full, full partakers. Now, what Gentiles share with the Jews who have the Spirit of God, the promises of Christ are the full blessings and benefits. Only the Jews in Christ, only Gentiles in Christ, only those born of the Spirit. Because all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. And we see in the Old Covenant as well, in Genesis 12, 3, God's covenant with Abraham. What did God tell him? Through you all the nations will be blessed. Paul affirms again in Romans 4. Incorporating both Jews and Gentiles, equal status into the body of Christ was not made known until this unveiling, until the new covenant. Christ is the seed that was promised to Abraham. And now we are all part of this body, all these promises, by faith. By faith in Him. Consider what Paul writes in Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Hairs according to the promise. Now as we conclude verse 6, notice how Paul continues the explanation of the mystery. The aforementioned categories we looked at in Christ through the gospel. The blessings come through Christ, in Christ Jesus, and are obtained through the gospel. Not through religion, not through religious observance, not through ethics and morality. No, not through being a good person. Through the gospel. Not a gospel. The gospel. A quote by a Methodist missionary, E. Stanley Jones. And he wrote, quote, Religions are man's search for God. The gospel is God's search for man. There are many religions, but one gospel. End quote. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. For all who would believe. We seek promises, blessings, but salvation primarily of what? Go back to verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. The wrath of God. Who needs the gospel? All need the gospel. Mankind has a serious problem. And many don't realize this. God is holy and man is not. That's the problem. Nobody's perfect. I've said that before. That's a big problem. If you're not perfect, you need the gospel. At the end of 
a person's life, there will be an evaluation. There's a judgment. Right over Hebrews tells us in 927, it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, there's a judgment. You're going to stand before a holy and perfect and righteous God. And the judgment is this. You'll be judged for every word, action, thought, and deed. It's not an evaluation where, oh, you know, I see where you faulted in one area, but you were really good in another area. You improved in one area, but you took a back step. That's not this evaluation. Unless you have the righteousness of Christ, you will all perish. <coughs> Who's the gospel for? It's for mankind. Are you without sin? If you're hearing this today, whoever's hearing this, if you are not perfect, if there is sin, transgression of God's standard, then you need the gospel to be saved from the wrath of God and you can become a partaker of the promise in Christ Jesus today through the gospel. Some closing reflections. Brethren, this is a good text for us as a reminder that there is an appointed time in God's story for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1 And while God's script has been written in eternity past, God's story is playing out in eternity present. Whether we believe it or not, like it or not, fight it if we will, we are on God's clock. Just as it was written in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, just as the fullness of time. And might I add, what Paul writes about the mystery in Ephesians 1.10, that in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ will unite all things unto himself on the earth and in heaven at the second coming of Christ when this story of redemption concludes. We can be confident that every detail in this script, every scene will be played out. We can be confident for God's specific purposes, for God's specific time. Now, in conclusion, there are mysteries, brethren, that we will never know about on this side of eternity. But the most significant mystery has been revealed to us. In our passage, Paul has given us revelation to the insight of this mystery. His insight revealed to him by the Spirit of God that we now have. We have been granted blessings, privileges of this revelation. And by the work of God's Spirit, we can come to a greater understanding of these truths. And that's very much the essence, of essence here in Ephesians of chapters 1 to 3. That we come to a greater understanding of this identity that we have now in Christ. Individually and corporately as the church. And consequently, in, verse, in chapters 4 to 6, instructions will be given. So what Paul's doing here is I want you to know who you are, how this came to be. But when we go to chapters 4 to 6, there'll be instructions that coincide in living this new life that you have.
want to close for a minute here. This mystery is no longer a mystery. The mystery now is the message. And with the revelation of the mystery comes to us some responsibility. You see, the mystery revealed is now to be the message proclaimed. The gospel has massive implications. And God's gospel glorifies himself. It saves people. And the gospel has some cosmic implications in the heavenly realms as well. The church has a mission. More on that next time we're in Ephesians. I'm going to conclude in a prayer, and then we're going to partake in communion. Let me pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for what you have revealed to us. The mystery revealed, the message, the good news is ours. Praise the Lord for the work you've done in our lives. May we continue to abide in this truth, Lord. Walk in this truth. Be changed in this truth, Lord, about this message. This gospel, this Christ. May you continue, Lord, to do a work in our minds and hearts. As we walk in this newness of life. As the workmanship of Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which you've prepared beforehand. We have a part to play in this story. Thank you, Lord. Amen.